Welcome into the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Willie Donick. This episode presented by the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water. The Well has a mission to bring clean water to the world. To date, over 30 communities across the globe have access to safe water, health, and hope. You too can make an impact by visiting a Well Coffee House location today. There are four of them, which can be found in Brentwood, Green Hills, downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House where coffee changes lives. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. That is located in the Gulch. Our news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a local injury law firm committed to helping those who've been injured in accidents. If you or someone you know has been hurt in a wreck or other accident, reach out to Sutherland and Belk, see what your rights are. You can find their contact info online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, your final from Tuesday night is Kentucky 78, Vanderbilt 64. Saban Lee leads the Commodores with 20 points. Vanderbilt is now 9-15 and and 1-10 in the Southeastern Conference. The guest line is presented to you by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on Bowling Branch sheets for years and loved them and did not know what I was missing until I got them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy to get $50 off your first set of sheets. Today's question and answer session with Willie Donick is brought to you by my friend Mark Gent at Simply a Fan. Mark organizes baseball trips for Major League Baseball and other sports around the country. He is also doing several road trips for Vanderbilt Baseball this spring. He's also doing one for the women's game at Tennessee Give my friend Mark a call. Visit his website. That is simplyafan.com where you can get more details on what trips have been organized and what could be coming up. Willie Donick joins us now. Willie is the Predators play-by-play voice. He is a host at 102.5 excuse me, at 102.5 the game. He is also an alumnus of the Vanderbilt baseball and men's basketball programs. Willie, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's great to be with you, Chris. Same here. Let's talk basketball. Vanderbilt falls again. It is now 1-10 in the conference, but the last five games have been markedly different from the five before them. Uh, Vanderbilt hung in there last night, and I just thought that Kentucky's, well, certainly the play around the rim, where UK has rim protectors and Vanderbilt doesn't was a factor. Uh, Maybe depth was a factor, too. I don't know, but five games in a row, I think that Jerry Stackhouse – has gotten about as much out of them as he can. Unfortunately, just win, one win to show for it. But I like what I'm seeing in terms of what he can control. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I'm saying the same thing. Uh, I, and I think we talked about this before the season started. It, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of sad in retrospect. I really would have loved to have seen that game last night with Aaron Neesmith and Cleavon Brown on the court because you should mention the. The biggest problem that Vanderbilt ran into over time as the game went on was they just couldn't get anything at the rim. Kentucky did an outstanding job, as they almost always do. As as the players change, they always have guys who are great shot blockers. They're just not going to give you a whole lot easy. John Calipari is very good at knowing what what he's looking for there. And then as the season goes along, usually 
the skill comes around on offense for them. But that being said, uh, I still think this is what I was hoping for from Jerry Stackhouse's first season. And that is that when you watch them play, you're watching a, you're watching a team that is improving and you're watching a team that is playing very, very hard for one another. And I think also Jerry Stackhouse, the more you watch for him, I think he, he's got a really good plan offensively and defensively. Uh, I think their team concepts of, you know, knowing what to do without the ball, you know, spacing on offense, you know, some of the sets that they're running. And then uh, on defense, they've gotten a lot better. They're, they're not a physically strong team, but they're getting better. I thought in the first half they played as good a defense as I've seen them play all year long, taking charges and, and beating guys to the spots and battling for boards. So there's a lot to like there. And, uh, you know, the one, the one loss record to me is going to be less important than the feeling that you have at the end of the season going into next year. You talked about the spacing, and one thing that I have noticed is that Saban Lee just didn't have any space after Neesmith was gone. Now they have done some things to free up room for he and Scottie Pippen Jr. to drive. It seems like they have made some pretty significant tweaks to open up the offense ever since that five-game run that started with Texas A&M where they were just getting blown out every night. Give me a couple of things that you were seeing from an offensive strategic standpoint that are different. Well, it really helps when – I think Jerry Stackhouse has made the decision, and I think it's a smart one, that they're not, they're not going to be able to score a lot of different ways. So even though you look at Dylan D'Souza's three-point field goal percentage and even Max Evans, who's very up and down, they've made the decision, you know, we've got to take threes. We've got to space it out. Saban Lee is going to beat his man. You can't guard Saban Lee one-on-one in this league. Teams know that, and they're going to collapse into the paint. And, and last night, Kentucky, because they're so good at, you know, being able to challenge a guy like Lee at the rim and not foul too much, that was going to be tough. But you see what happens when you do have a night where you make the threes. Just like uh, against LSU, your night. The great thing about this seven, they've got the confidence. They've got the green light. So even though they're, they're not great shooters right now, because they're getting a chance to, without thinking, have the green light and, and take shots, they're showing some improvement. If they can continue to improve, that's going to help a lot. Because if they can hit 10, 12 threes, as you heard Jerry Stackhouse say, you know, that, that's going to maybe give you enough points to win, especially against some of these teams that, that they're going to play down the stretch. They're in a tough portion of their schedule right now, but there's maybe some winnable games down the stretch if they can keep this formula going. I'm going to kind of take what you said and condense it a little bit. I think that they are building around what they can get of those two guards going to the rim, and they're going to get their points. And on some nights when you've got rim protectors like Kentucky, they won't get as many. And I think even if that all goes well, I mean, you look at it, they get 31 from Evans and 33 from Saban Lee, and even with that, that LSU game is contested going into the final minute. I think a good way to put it, it seems like to me they have staked their gamble on that's their foundation, and then the determinant of whether they can win is whether they can get to Sue or Evans or somebody like that hot. Guys that aren't particularly good three-point shooters, but you know, a 40% shooter is going to hit 10% one night and 70 another. Seems to me like they're staking their gamble on hoping that guys hit threes, and it's not a great gamble, but it's all they've got. Right. It's their best chance. It's their best chance. And, and hopefully – 
guys like DeSue and Wright and Pippen will continue to get bigger, stronger, more confident, more skilled, and, and those numbers are going to improve. To me, those three guys are, are essential. And then, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with Saban Lee and Neesmith, and then you got these transfers coming in. But to me, the three, the three freshmen that are getting a huge opportunity to play tons of minutes and kind of work through all their flaws, if they can improve, that, that's going to be really enormous to, to tell me what the story is going to look like in a year or two. Because I, I love watching Scottie Pippen. He is, he is, just like we said at the beginning of the season, I think it's ter- borne out. Physically, he gives up some things, right? Uh, Kentucky's guards were able to get by him last night. So he's going to have to keep working on getting stronger, tougher, and overcoming uh, physically you know, what he doesn't have. And the same is true on offense. But, man, the more you watch him, he is crafty. You know, you can't take the ball from him. He makes excellent decisions. He's got great basketball skills. And I think as he gets older and stronger, he'll find a way to get his shot off more. I think he's a really good shooter that hasn't been able to get a whole lot of looks from the outside. Uh, but I think that will change o- over time. I really, I'm, I'm excited to watch what he looks like in a couple of years. Yeah, I am too. I think they've got more there than anybody thought they had. And again, I give a lot of credit to the developmental end of what they've done with him. I want to ask you some more things, though. I mean, I don't know that we can necessarily assume. I mean, look, what we see in front of us is a guy who seems to know what he's doing, okay? It's a small sample size, but we can only go by on what we see. And I think we all feel the guy can coach and draw up sets and things like that. I've talked to him enough on and off the record to know he's very intelligent, so we know that too. We know he's also very competitive. So we know those things. Maybe a larger sample size would disprove some of that, but I get a sense that it wouldn't. The question everybody has is recruiting, and they have specifically said we want to spend more time on development, and I think they're going to focus their recruitment more on transfers because it's a shorter cycle. Now, I think there's a little flaw in that because it's a shorter cycle for everybody in terms of recruitment. Um, So a lot of teams are going to hone in on transfers when they come on the market, and maybe that's where it falls apart. My other concern has been getting them into school. But anyway, I've said a lot. What is your thought on his strategy of mostly – Targeting transfers, not hitting high school kids, and not being on the road as much, is that something that can work at Vanderbilt? Well, if you look historically, you know, transfers uh, have been a big part of the success of some of the great Vanderbilt teams uh, going back through the years. They just honored the 93 team. We talked about it last week. You know, you had three transfers that were essential, three starters, Billy McCaffrey, Chris Lawson, Bruce Elder. You look at Derek Byers. Uh, several years later. So there's been a lot of them that have been huge. Now, one thing that I know is still a big concern is the graduate transfer part that it's not, it has not fallen into place. I know it was a big concern for Bryce Drew, and I know it's still a concern for Coach Stackhouse. I hope they continue to work through that because graduate transfers can make a big difference, especially with the great program. Uh, but the timing, I know, on the Vanderbilt calendar and the basketball season is not a good mix. They've got to find a way through that. So I like that. But either way, you've got to, you've got to recruit effectively to what you're looking for. At Jerry Stackhouse, I, I'd have to say there's probably a learning curve. Uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of guys who have been through the grind uh, of recruiting. And they've got to find their niche there. And, and they've got to find it quick. 
because you, you you know it's fun to watch a team right now where they are. I think he's doing some nice things, but you're going to want to see progress, and you got to keep bringing new guys into the program that can raise the level. Yeah, from what I hear, they don't get much of any help on graduate transfers, and I'm trying to think. I don't know that they have gotten one ever since that rule has been in effect. Can you think of one? No, I don't believe they have. I think football has. And I think it's, it's as I understand it, it's the calendar. The academic calendar is big. You know, there are guys that right now are playing for a team and they don't, they don't even know that they're transferring right now. You know, but they, maybe they're thinking about it. But, like, if you were trying to get into the Owen Business School or, or you know, pick a school at Vanderbilt that has a graduate program, you would, you would already be, you know, going through the process right now. You would be, you know, making the preparations to apply and all those things. And so they've got to figure out a system within the university. And this is where, you know, Candace Story Lee, I think, could have a good impact and continue to work through that um, and, and make it, and the new chancellor might have something to do with this. I don't know. But to me, that's, that's a, a very important thing for college basketball in particular, and it's not an issue for football. Let's hit baseball with the few minutes we have left. Your thoughts as Vanderbilt is set to open against Michigan now only, holy cow, two days from now. It's getting close. Isn't it crazy that you start off with, with Michigan? It's a, it's a great way to, to start things right at the beginning. They'll have great exposure uh, for, for those games. Um, so I, I'm excited. And as you pointed out, and I, I think uh, everybody I've talked to, it's going to take some time to, to figure out how they're going to deploy the, the guys in the field. I, I would imagine it's going to probably shuffle around a little bit in the early part of the season. And what you have to hope for is the pitching can get off to a good start and kind of keep them in games. And, and hopefully in games and then, find the hot bats and, you know, maybe a guy like Austin Martin can, can carry the load, but I, I'm curious to see how it's going to go. I, I think you temper expectations early in the season. And then I think by the time, you know, mid March rolls around, you hope to have a pretty good plan of attack going into the college or going, to the you know, the talent matter of it, uh, just coming together and finding the right group. Yeah, I wonder if mid-March is even a tad optimistic because, look, let's just set the foundation here, okay? They were losing a lot of bats anyway, so no matter how they arrived at their lineup, there were going to be some growing pains anyway. Then they lose Jason Gonzalez, so that's one that they're down. They have lost um, Dominic Keegan, I think, probably for the first couple of weeks. Maybe that has changed, but that's my impression. I think Keegan was going to be maybe a three or four hitter for them. So that's two hitters that they've not only lost, but they're good hitters they've lost. Ty Duvall has been hurt. I guess he'll be ready for the opener, but he might not be. Um, and Carter Young was a planet short, but from my understanding, he's not hitting much at all. And you might see Austin Martin there. So you just look from a place where they're already starting off um, – where they're going to need to find some answers from last year, and then you've got a little deficit on top of that. I don't know. I could see where things go pretty wrong for them in the opening week. So they're very talented. And maybe by the end of the year it's a different tune, but I could see a scenario where they really struggle out of the gate. Well, I think, I think one thing that you're going to notice is easy to take for granted just how good or how 
valuable it is to have guys like, for example, uh, St- Stephen Scott. You know, Stephen Scott you know, and Phil Clark, you know, guys like that, talented players, but so much experience, so many college at-bats that they had. And that is, that is a huge tool to be able to recognize pitches and know the league and, and be able to, to have smart at-bats. You know, I think you're going to have that, but you're also going to see a little bit of, uh, you know, the Wiley veterans being able to get the best of them at times. You know, if you're going to have – if you have a few polished pitchers, I think that's going to be an adjustment for some of the younger hitters. But that's just part of the process, and you hope that they mature quickly. You know, we, we know Austin Martin, by the end of his freshman year, was – I mean, he, he was really really good right from the start. You know, he is a rare guy. And there are some freshmen that do that. I think of Ryan Flaherty and Pedro Alvarez. I mean, those guys were really good right at the beginning. But the more at-bats you get, the better you're going to get. Yeah, and I think that they might be able to hide some of that with the early schedule. I mean, they open with Michigan, but then some games get a little easier. They've got Illinois-Chicago, which won't be a pushover, but I think that team lost some players. Hawaii will be the easiest game or easiest series they play all year. Kentucky is probably one of the worst couple teams in the SEC. They get that, I think, at home. It is at home to open. So you might be able to get some guys some confidence until you get some guys healthier. That helps. Maybe my bigger concern is just it's so hard for guys to play in the field and adjust to the speed of the game. And even kids that are good fielders, I think that's where you see guys struggle in the early weeks. And I think you tend to see that a lot of times um, whether the opposition is good or not. Well, that, that's another thing that I think will, will sort of show you how good that team was last year is – Again, you get used to watching them, and you get used to them making all the plays, and that's just not, uh, not a given, right? And you can go back before that, a guy like Connor Kaiser at short. What a great field it was. And so I think, uh, you know, we're going to see some growing pains a little bit with the young players, but it, it will come around. I mean, this is just part of uh, a really good college program is you go through some of these stages where you have to develop the young new players that you have, but they'll do it, and uh, and hopefully they can win their share of games while they do it. Yeah, the same team in June looks a lot different than the same team did in February, uh, basically in a year, and I think that will especially be the case this year. Willie, I know you need to go. I wanted to give you the floor to promote everything you do before we end. All right. Well, I'm back as a regular now. I've been in Canada the last week, but I'll be back on the show regularly at 102.5 The Game from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., so looking forward to that. And you can follow me on Twitter at WillieD1025. Thanks, Willie. All right. He, he's, Chris, I got to run? Yep. He's Willie Donick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.